It's time now for the complete story with Rich and Dick Bott, a public news and information feature of Bot Radio Network to keep you informed about the most important issues of our day. Now, here are Rich and Dick Bott with today's complete story. Well, I tell you what, Rich, I am loaded. I have so many things I want to talk to our listeners about. First of all, however, let me say that I appreciate phone calls on our listener comment line. When people, you know, they wonder about my voice. Mm -hmm. You know what, folks? All I've got is what I've got. But the thoughts in my head and that which is in my heart, I want to continue to express as long as God gives me breath to do so. And I believe it will be better when I get up to Mayo Clinic in Rochester on September 5th, I think it is. And then they have some other things they're going to be doing. But first of all, let me say, Rich, it's nice to have you back in the studio. Well, thank you, Dad. I'm glad to be back. Did you have a nice honeymoon? We had a great time. That's right. Thank you. And and the new Mrs. Richard Palmer bought the second and she's yeah. a nice lady, isn't she? Right, right. <laughs> um, a first-time marriage for both of us, so we're happy uh, to uh, be enjoying marital yeah. bliss. <laughs> you know, it's a wonderful thing that God has created. Yeah. All right, now listen, folks. Let's get on with this because we got a full program. Now, uh, Ronald Reagan was appreciated by Americans not because he was a Republican. You've got to remember he started out as a Democrat. In California, and as he struggled and had to had to overcome battles with the left and the right and all of that stuff, that's when he became Republican. But that's not important to me. It never was. It's who was the man, and that is always important because God uses whom He chooses in every case. So anyway, I was going back through some archives, and I found a speech by Ronald Reagan to national religious broadcasters. Rich, you see, that is who Bot Radio Network is very much a part of, isn't it? You were the chairman of national religious broadcasters just in recent years. I was on the executive committee for years and years and years and one of the vice presidents. So national religious broadcasters is deeply rooted in what we stand for as Bible-believing Christians, right? Right. It's an association of member organizations. So many of the broadcast ministries you hear on Bot Radio Network, whether it's Grace to You with John MacArthur or Insight for Living with Chuck Swindoll or Focus on the Family or any number of them well, are, are members them. members I... of, of national religious broadcasters together with the broadcast stations across the country, whether the radio, TV, and then there's Internet and Film and all of those are that are used to proclaim the gospel. There it is. It's the Bible. It's the Bible as the Word of God. And that is what ties us together. And that's what National Religious Broadcasters is. It's an association. All right. Now, I was looking through the archives, and I found a speech that Ronald Reagan had given at our national convention of National Religious Broadcasters. 
and I believe it was 1983. You got to remember, folks, that he was first elected president in January 20th, 1981. That's a long time ago. And then that ran two terms through 1989. But I believe this speech now is 35 years ago. And when you listen to it, folks, you will know why people loved him. Now, everybody didn't love him. I want to tell you that. But as best he could, he kept his promises. And, and, and then he stood for the right things of life. I tell you, folks, he, you listen to his speech here on pro-life and the abortion question and everything else. Turn your radio up. And then you listen to what he said about the Bible. Uh, I want to remind people it was Ronald Reagan who declared the year of the Bible. Isn't that amazing? And he references that in this speech. So let's turn right away now to this speech that I think people ought to know about and think about and compare what we've got today in our culture as to what he was saying way back then, 35 years ago. Here it is. Thank you all very much, ladies and gentlemen, the distinguished guests. In a few days, I'll be celebrating another birthday, which according to some in the press, puts me on a par with Moses. <laughs> that doesn't really bother me because every year when I come here, when I look out at your warm and caring faces, I get a very special feeling, like being born again. <laughs> There's something else I've been noticing. In a time when recession has gripped our land, your industry, religious broadcasting, has enjoyed phenomenal growth. Now, there may be some who are frightened by your success, but I'm not one of them. As far as I'm concerned... As far as I'm concerned, the growth of religious broadcasting is one of the most heartening signs in America today when we realize that every penny of that growth is being funded voluntarily by citizens of every stripe, we see an important truth. It's something that I have been speaking of for quite some time, that the American people are hungry for your message because they are hungry for a spiritual revival in this land. When Americans reach out for values of faith, family, and caring for the needy, they're saying, we want the Word of God. We want to face future, the future, with the Bible. You might be happy to hear that I have some good news of my own. Thursday morning at the National Prayer Breakfast, I will sign a proclamation making 1983 the year of the Bible. We're blessed to have its words of strength, comfort, and truth. I'm accused of being simplistic at times with some of the problems that confront us. I've often wondered, within the covers of that single book are all the answers to all the problems that face us today, if we'd only look for them. 
grass withereth, the flower fadeth, but the word of our God shall stand forever. I hope Americans will read and study the Bible in 1983. It's my firm belief that the enduring values, as I say, presented in its pages have a great meaning for each of us and for our nation. The Bible can touch our hearts, order our minds, refresh our souls. Now, I realize it's fashionable in some circles to believe that no one in government should encourage others to read the Bible. That we're told that we'll violate the constitutional separation of church and state established by the Founding Fathers in the First Amendment. Well, it might interest those critics to know that none other than the father of our country, George Washington, kissed the Bible at his inauguration. And he also said words to the effect that there could be no real morality in a society without religion. John Adams called it the best book in the world. And Ben Franklin said, the longer I live, the more convincing proofs I see of this truth, that God governs in the affairs of men. Without his concurring aid, we shall succeed in this political building no better than the builders of Babel. We shall be divided by our little partial local interests. Our projects will be confounded, and we ourselves shall become a reproach, a byword down to future ages. So when I hear the First Amendment used as a reason to keep the traditional moral values away from policymaking, I'm shocked. The First Amendment was not written to protect people and their laws from religious values. It was written to protect those values from government tyranny. I've always believed that this blessed land was set apart in a special way. That some divine plan placed this great continent here between the two oceans to be found by people from every corner of the earth. People who had a special love for freedom, the courage to uproot themselves, leave their homeland and friends to come to a strange land. And when coming here, they created something new in all the history of mankind. A country where man is not beholden to government. Government is beholden to man. Now, I happen to believe that one way to promote, indeed to preserve, those traditional values we share is by permitting our children to begin their days the same way the members of the United States Congress do, with prayer. The public expression of our faith in God through prayer is fundamental as a part of our American heritage and a privilege which should not be excluded from our schools. No one must be forced or pressured to take part in any religious exercise. But neither should the freest country on earth ever have permitted God to be expelled from classroom. When the Supreme Court ruled that school prayer was unconstitutional almost 21 years ago, I believe it ruled wrong. And when a lower court recently stopped Lubbock, Texas high school students from even holding voluntary prayer meetings on the campus before or after class, it ruled wrong too.
Our only hope for tomorrow is in the faces of our children. And we know Jesus said, Suffer the little children to come unto me and forbid them not, for such is the kingdom of God. Well, last year we tried to pass an amendment that would allow communities to determine for themselves whether voluntary prayer should be permitted in their public schools. We failed. But I want you to know something. I'm determined to bring that amendment back again and again and again and again until we receive There's another struggle we must wage to redress a great national wrong. We must go forward with unity of purpose and will, and let us come together, Christians and Jews, let us pray together, march, lobby, and mobilize every force we have so that we can end the tragic taking of unborn children's lives. among us can imagine the excruciating pain the unborn must feel as their lives are snuffed away, and we know medically they do feel pain. I know that many well-intentioned, sincerely motivated people believe that the government intervention violates a woman's right of choice, and they would be right if there were any proof that the unborn are not living human beings. Medical evidence indicates to the contrary. And if that were not enough, how do we explain the survival of babies who are born prematurely, some very prematurely? We once believed that the heart didn't start beating until the fifth month. But as medical instrumentation has improved, we've learned the heart was beating long before that. Doesn't the constitutional protection of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness extend to the unborn unless... It can be proven beyond a shadow of a doubt that life does not exist in the unborn. And I believe the burden of proof is on those who would make that point. I read in the Washington Post about a young woman named Victoria. She's with child. And she said, in this society, we save whales, we save timber wolves and bald eagles and Coke bottles, yet everyone wanted me to throw away my baby. Oh. Well, Victoria's story has a happy ending. Her baby will be born. Victoria has received assistance from a Christian couple and from Save a Life. There's hope for America. She remains powerful and a powerful force for good. And it's thanks to the conviction and commitment of people like those who are helping Victoria. They're living the meaning of the two great commandments. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, and with all thy soul, and with all thy might, and thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Each year, government bureaucracies spend bills for problems related to drugs and alcoholism and disease.
Has anyone stopped to consider that we might come closer to balancing the budget if all of us simply tried to live up to the Ten Commandments and the Golden Rule? Malcolm Muggeridge, the brilliant English commentator, has written, the most important happening in the world today is the resurgence of Christianity in the Soviet Union, demonstrating that the whole effort sustained over 60 years to brainwash the Russian people into accepting materialism has been a fiasco. Think of it, the most awesome military machine in history. But it is no match for that one single man, hero, strong yet tender, Prince of Peace. His name alone, Jesus, can lift our hearts, soothe our sorrows, heal our wounds, and drive away our fears. He gave us love and forgiveness, taught us truth, and left us hope. And the book of John is the promise that we all go by tells us that for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. With his, with his message and with your conviction and commitment, we can still move mountains. We can work to reach our dreams and to make America a shining city on a hill. Before I say goodbye, I wanted to leave with you these words from an old Netherlands folk song because they made me think of our meeting here today. We gather together to ask the Lord's blessing. We all do extol thee, thou leader triumphant, and pray that thou still our defender wilt be. Let thy congregation escape tribulation, thy name be ever praised. O Lord, make us free. To which I would only add a line from another song. America, America, God shed his grace on me. Thank you again. All right, now listen, folks, for those tuning in a little late, that was a speech that Ronald Reagan gave in 1983. That's 35 years ago to the National Religious Broadcasters Convention. Probably, I know it was, I was there Mm -hmm. in Washington, D.C. And you see, if you just listen carefully, you can see what has happened to our America since then. It has been this downward slide of moral decay, family destruction, and absolutely trying to drive Scripture and the Bible even out of many of our churches, for goodness sakes. What say you, Rich? Well, he started off talking about how America is hungry for a spiritual revival in this land, and that hunger exists today. And, Dad, I'm hoping and praying that we're closer to seeing that Great Awakening-style revival than we were even back then. And then when he proclaimed 1983 as the year of the Bible, that's the foundation stone. That's the the solid rock that we can stand on to know what's right and what's wrong. Now, I want to say this, too, because this is not partisan politics, folks. I don't like that. I like principled 
politics, principled politics. Every citizen is part of we the people. And you've got to be alert and you've got to care. Now, have you heard what he said about the, the unborn child? Honest to goodness, I don't know how anyone could vote for Claire McCaskill mm-hmm. in the state of Missouri or any other pro-abortion politician wanting to have the people support them so that federal tax money could go to Planned Parenthood and others that take the life of that little baby. He referred to that as the tragic taking of unborn children's lives. Yeah. And then remember how he he pushed the prayer amendment so children in schools could start their day the same way that members of Congress do, yeah. with prayer. You know, Rich, I think we're going to use this message, uh, this speech, uh, by the president, by the way, he was elected at that time, and he wasn't looking for votes. He was talking out of his heart for what he believed, and he was also, I remember Ronald Reagan said, a nation, hear this now, folks, a nation without borders mm. is not a nation. You've got to have law and order. And a wonderful thing about America, it has the people who vote for the laws, the people who vote for the politicians who make the laws. So it's always the people that are in charge. Now, let me tell you, folks, listen to this song in conclusion.
What is our listener comment line? 1-800-345-2621. 1-800-345-2621. And I tell you what, folks, I want to hear from you and you and you mm-hmm. and you. You are our family. You are our listening audience. You are the people we want to serve and be a blessing to. This is Dick Bott with my son, Rich, on this chapter of the complete story uh, as a public service. See you later. <laughs>